So we're going to look at Luke 21, 1 through 4. This is the last week. This is Tuesday. Many call Tuesday before the cross Tumultuous Tuesday because Jesus had a very busy day. He spent much of the day defending the truth, much of the day answering his critics. But in the midst of that, about in the middle of the day, I guess, uh, Jesus sees this widow and she is casting in her gifts to the treasury. And so that's where we're at this evening. Luke 21. This account is also found in Mark 12, 41 to 44. So both Mark and Luke give us this account. We'll read from Luke 21 to begin with. Verses 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. It says Jesus looked up. I wonder if Jesus was tired and was looking down, maybe like we do sometimes, sitting with our head down and looking between our legs and just kind of propping there. We don't know, but it says he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty, she put in all that she had to live on. And so you can compare this account with Mark twelve forty one to 44. Again, remember this is the week leading to the cross. And this is that uh, Tuesday. It is said that 20% of Matthew's account of Jesus' life is given to this one day on Tuesday. Think about how much time and space is given to this whole week of Jesus, this last week of Jesus, in the different accounts of Jesus' life. But even, look how much is given to just this day on Tuesday. These last two parables that we have studied, the parable of the two sons and the parable of the wicked tenants from last week, uh, those parables were given on Tuesday uh, as well. These coins that the widow is casting in, these are but a fraction of the regular coins. Um, If you do any reading on this, it's it's about one-sixtieth of a day's wage. Over Matthew uh, 20 and verse 2, we learn about a denarii, and it is about the payment of a regular man's work uh, for one day. Well, what she's casting in here is about one-fiftieth or one-sixtieth of that. Okay. In other words, a denarii would be about 18 cents. And so she is giving, with her two coins that she's giving, uh, she's giving about one-sixtieth of 18 cents. Okay. So when Jesus says she's poor, she's very poor. She's very poor. 
And so we see her casting in her two mites, her two copper coins. She's in the temple area. This is something that that um, is different from the Old Testament tabernacle uh, for sure. Uh, they had rebuilt this temple a number of times and it had been rebuilt in Herod's day and they had, they had put in four courts. Uh, there was the court of the Gentiles where uh, that was the only place Gentiles could go. There was the court of Israel where only the male um, Hebrews could go, the male Jewish people could go. There was the court of the priest, and that's where only the priest could go. But then there was the court of the women. And everybody could go in there except for the Gentiles. But both Hebrew men and women could go into the court of the women. And this is where the treasury box is, or box is. And this is where Jesus is sitting, maybe taking a break and observing people casting their coins into the boxes. It's interesting what we don't know about this lady. Let's think about that before we get into the bulk of what we're going to discuss. Think about what we don't know about her. Um, We don't know how old she is. We don't know whether she's a younger widow or an older widow. We don't know how long she's been a widow. We don't know whether or not she's had um, any children at all. And we don't know her name. This sort of interested me just a little. How many women in the time of Jesus made an appearance, made an impact on, on the ministry of Jesus and make an impact on us today, but were never named. For example, the woman that was at Jacob's well in John 4. We don't know her name. In John 8, uh, the woman taken in adultery. We don't know her name. In, I think it's Matthew um, 15, if I'm not mistaken, there's a young lady that comes to Jesus, a Canaanite woman, Matthew 15, 21, and um, a Canaanite woman comes and says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. We don't know her name. In Matthew 9, 18 through uh, 26, there's a lady who has an issue of blood, and Jesus heals her. We don't know her name. So several times as you begin to think about it, um, many women come into the life of Jesus, but we never really know just a whole lot about them. Same thing with this uh, poor widow uh, here. Okay. So let's think about this, and I invite your uh, comments uh, as well as we get into... Uh, some of the ideas in this uh, in this section. Okay. One thing that we do know, Jesus uh, watches her, and Jesus knows all about her. Okay. I believe this is a miraculous insight that Jesus has about her. In other words, Jesus is able to read her heart and read her life. Uh, he is. Um, able to know the circumstances because of what he says. He says, he says this woman put in all that she has. Okay. How could he know that except that he just was able to use that ability and to know 
of certain things like he often did as we read in different places in his life. And so Jesus didn't need to do any investigation about her. He, he automatically, because he is the Son of God, he knew all about her circumstances. But from that we understand that Jesus sees us when we give as well. If Jesus can sit there and, and notice that in real time, then we know that he's the Son of God and he also sees us as we give. There's a proverb that says in Proverbs 15 and verse 3, the Lord looks down from heaven and looks upon men and sees it all and he sees our good and he sees our evil that we do. And the eyes of the Lord are in every place. And so Jesus sees our giving as well. Turn with me for just a second to Philippians chapter 4 in relation to Jesus seeing our giving. Philippians chapter 4. Paul is commending the church there at Philippi for a number of things, but in this passage, Philippians 4.18, he's commending their giving. Notice what he says. Philippians 4.18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. To God. Notice that. This, these gifts that you brought in contribution for the gospel, these have gone up to be a fragrance, a sweet-smelling odor, a sacrifice, an offering to God. To God. So the Lord sees uh, our giving. All right. Let's think about for a minute, this becomes here in Luke 21 and Mark 12, this becomes a contrast, a study of contrast. Let's think about some contrast in the Bible when you think in terms of giving. For example, look over with me to Acts chapter 4, just to notice this. Acts chapter 4. If you look toward the end of the chapter... Verse 34, 35, Acts 4, 34, 35. Many of the Christians who were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought them, uh, brought what was sold, the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. And then Joseph, who also was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, He's a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, what about chapter 5? What happens there? Who's involved in chapter 5? As chapter 5 begins in Acts. All right. How is that contrasted to Barnabas? Okay. What, was the, what was the fault of Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah, they, they basically lied about it. They, they sold, they presented the proceeds as if this was all the proceeds from what they sold, but they kept back. And notice the Lord knew, and they both lost their, life, their lives uh, for this. So 
So notice that contrast that's given there between Barnabas and the other early Christians really sacrificing and giving, but then contrasted to Ananias and Sapphira. Let's look at another contrast. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. Paul here, as you know, and you've read this through many times, he is encouraging the church at Corinth to step up in their giving. He does this in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, by presenting a contrast. He mentions uh, in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, the church is a Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Okay. Paul goes on to say in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8, And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And Paul is contrasting what the Corinthians were not doing with what these churches of Macedonia were doing. And he's making the contrast, there you are in Corinth, you're not in poverty. But these churches of Macedonia in extreme poverty and afflicted on every side have stepped up and given beyond even what we could possibly expect. And so there are a lot of contrasts in generosity that are found uh, through scripture. I think about one Old Testament uh, time when David, who had been fleeing from Saul, and he was coming upon this area in the wilderness, and there was a very rich man there by the name of Nabal. Who was Nabal's wife? Jezebel. Not Jezebel. Abigail. Abigail. Nabal and Abigail. And David had had some of Nabal. Who, Nabal was very rich. Lots of sheep, lots of cattle. And some of Nabal's workmen had come in contact with David and his men. And David had treated them very kindly. Basically invited them into the camp. Took care of them. Did them no harm. Gave provisions for them. And so David thought that he would ask those men to go back to Nabal and see if Nabal could share some supplies with him as he is trying to work at his way uh, toward the kingdom. But Nabal was a very stingy man. And you can read about it in 1 Samuel 25. And he, he basically said, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? You know, why should I take my cattle and my meat and my supplies and my water and share it with him? Who is he? And so David basically um, made up his mind that this is, this, is, um, this is a signal that maybe Nabal wants to go to battle. So they, they geared up for battle. But Abigail heard about this. And she went and interceded with David. And she actually took David lots of supplies, bread and other supplies to him. So again, there's a contrast between a husband and wife there. Has that ever happened before? Have you ever had a stingy husband and a very generous wife in the same household? Or vice versa? 
Well, here is Nabal and, and Abigail, and that presents a contrast. So here, Jesus is going to be making a contrast uh, with this poor widow as well here in Luke 20, 21. Okay. Now, one thing that's taught here rather plainly is that convenient giving is not real giving. Convenient giving is not acceptable to God. In other words, giving off the top. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying about the rich people who were coming into the temple and they were cashing their money into the boxes, but they were giving of their abundance. In other words, they were, they were convenient giving. And this is not something that's pleasing uh, to God. I want you to notice a statement with me as we're flipping in our Bibles. Go back with me to 2 Samuel 24. Let me kind of set this up for you. Second uh, Samuel 24. Now, again, this is David. David had his weaknesses. You remember that David numbered the people. And this was not pleasing to God. Why wasn't that pleasing to God? It wasn't his strength, it was God's strength. Yeah, David was focusing on what he had done. And seemingly not giving glory to God, or he's focusing way too much on himself, and uh, it seemed like he was losing his humility a little bit. But God began to punish the people with a with a uh, with a plague, and um, and David confessed his sins to God, and the plague eventually stopped. But as part of his confession, David wanted to go, wanted to, go to the threshing floor of Aruna and uh, make a sacrifice to God. And so this is what we're finding here in 2 Samuel 24, verse 24. And as he comes and he, and he asks Aruna to uh, use his threshing floor, threshing floor and to use his cattle to make the sacrifice, Aruna was very happy to do so. And in fact, he said, I'm going to be giving this to the king. But David said, no, you're not. Let's, let's notice this, 2 Samuel 24, 24. The king said to Aruna, No, I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. I Underline this in your Bible. I, I've got it underlined in my Bible. I've got it bracketed and underlined. David said, I will not bring a sacrifice to God that costs me nothing. This is the spirit of giving that, that the Lord wants us to grab hold of. David had his faults, but David knew the heart of God in this matter of giving. And this is, what, this is part of what Jesus is condemning here in the temple. The rich were coming and they were giving of their abundance. So this convenient giving is not pleasing uh, to God. Now, going back to this occasion here and the poor widow. Let's think about the fact that this poor widow does indeed give all. She gives her all into this treasury. She gives her all. Is this surprising to you? Is it shocking? Where does this come from? 
what has uh, inspired her to give all of her living, everything that she has to live on, she gives it to the treasury of the temple. The temple would need money for a lot of things, for um, for animals, for uh, maintenance, for incense. You can pile up the cost uh, rather fast like you can today. But she gave all of her living. wonder what inspired this. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 12. And notice a little thing here. See what you think. Now, as I said a moment ago, Mark 12, 41 to 44 is the account of the widow and the treasury. But if you back up just a few verses to Mark 12, 28, this is when one of the scribes came up to Jesus, heard, heard them disputing with one another, and he asked, which commandment is most important? Mark twelve twenty nine. Jesus said, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I wonder if this poor widow had heard Jesus remind people of this. Is this what inspired her to give all, to give everything she had? She had to have understood a lot because she had an understanding to trust God. She had to trust God a lot. Right. right. Ken is saying she had to have quite a bit of understanding because to give what she gave, she had to trust God quite a bit. She had to trust God a lot. So, Miss Julie is sharing that many people wanted to believe and had the faith this lady had, and they struggled in it. Uh, she's re- remarking about the time, I think it's in Mark 9, when a man came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And we can certainly relate uh, to that. But Jesus, in saying, love the Lord with all your heart, was certainly challenging the crowd, and perhaps this is her answer. Maybe this is her answer to what Jesus had just taught here. You know, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, what did Jesus tell him to do? Go sell all you have. Matthew nineteen sixteen to 22 and other accounts as well. Go sell all that you have. And give it to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me. So this is not the first time that uh, we read about giving your all to God. Yes. Ken is saying the rich young ruler was afraid if he gave it away, he would not get it back. 
he did not trust enough. So notice the contrast here, okay? With David and Abigail and Nabal. Notice the contrast with Barnabas and uh, Sapphira. Notice the contrast between the church of the Macedonian church of Corinth. Now notice this contrast between this poor widow and the rich young ruler. It's almost as if God is constantly flashing before us different contrasts so we, could see, we can see the right path uh, to take and have no mistake about it. So God is teaching against convenient giving. Uh, the Lord Jesus is encouraging a sacrificial giving, giving uh, your all. And let us build on what Kim said a minute ago also. To be able to give like this, you've got to be able to give by faith. By faith. And so one question that would naturally arise if you're just reading through uh, the, the Gospels here is uh, wonder what she's going to do about her next meal. What's she going to do about her living? What, what, what is she going to do? Okay. Well, the answer to that is God is going to see to that. All right. that's, that's her faith. You know, Jesus had already taught to pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Matthew 6 verse 11. Give us this day. Jesus had taught on the Sermon on the Mount also. Matthew 6 and 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what? All these things be added to you. Evidently, somehow, somewhere, she understood these matters. And so she put her faith in the Lord. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus had said, Give and it shall be given unto you. And so she evidently uh, did not fret about this, that she believed the Lord would provide. And so it does take a great amount of faith uh, to be the giver that God would have us to be. What did she have to lose? Do what? What did she have to lose? What did she have to lose? Okay, go ahead. The problem throughout history is we, even as Christians, focus on the amount. God never cares about the amount. He doesn't need it. But we have a hard time keeping that in our minds and in our hearts. It's all about the heart. Okay. This is something I want, I want you to remember. What Ken is saying, it's never been about the amount. It's always been about the heart. Okay. Let's, let's bear that in mind as we, as we progress along here because I think that's very key to, to where we're getting to here. That, 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 hits, that begins to hit the foundation of what Jesus wants us to understand. Let's think about this contrast that Jesus wants us to make between the rich and the poor widow. Okay. So, in your mind, put two columns there, okay? And you've got the rich over here, and we'll put the widow over here. On the side of the rich, they gave out of their abundance. On the side of the widow, she gave out of her poverty everything she had, okay? On the side of the rich, what they gave did not cost them anything. On the side of the widow, it cost her everything. On the side of the rich, they had no spirit of faith whatsoever. No spirit of faith. But looking at the widow, she had all sorts of spirit of faith. She had an attitude of faith that just would not stop. Okay. Spirit in the sense of a small letter S. Okay. Spirit, attitude 
of faith. You know, we often read on Sunday mornings from 2 Corinthians 9. Sometimes it's on our monitor, 2 Corinthians 9, that uh, God loves a cheerful giver. And the instruction there is we're not to give uh, grudgingly or of what? Necessity. Uh, For God loves a cheerful giver. We don't do it because we're commanded to do it. We don't do it complaining as we do it. But rather out of an overflow of love. An overflow of love and faith. uh, So we give. Spirit of faith. Another thing that Jesus would often warn about to the Pharisees, again on the Sermon on the Mount, he would say, uh, Don't do your giving to be seen of men. Okay. That would not be the Spirit. The woman here is not giving to be seen. She don't have any idea that anybody is really observing her. She's coming in and doing her giving, and she plans to go on her way. And so that's the Spirit of giving, the Spirit of of love and faith and not doing it for the um, advertisement of men or display before men, but rather just because you want to please the Lord. Okay. The others were casting it in and she just placed hers in. Okay. So notice she, um, she gave out of her poverty and the rich gave out of their abundance and didn't cost them anything. It cost her everything. They had no spirit about them. And she had she was full of the spirit of faith. Okay. The rich would calculate, they would carefully calculate how much they should put in so it would not hurt them. So they wouldn't miss anything. Okay. But on the other hand over here, she is reckless. In her generosity. She is reckless. She just, she just gives it all. And says the Lord will take care of me. It's one of the biggest contrasts we find here. Okay, that's a good point. Houston's saying she, he don't think it's necessarily reckless because of her faith in God. She's not going to lose anything. Maybe reckless in comparison to how others would do it, but certainly not reckless when it comes to your faith in God. Okay, good point. Good point. Okay. But Jesus obviously wants us to see the contrast here, and those are a few uh, that can be seen. All right. Let's go back to the key of all this. Now, kind of capitalize on what Brother Kim was saying. It's not how much we give. It's how much we decide to keep for ourselves. Okay. That's that's giving. Okay. Chuckle? Is that not true? Okay, we had a wicked little laugh on my left over here. So <laughs> Is that nice? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Okay. 
You folks in the back, time out. Let me talk to Aaron a minute. So what Ken said was not so much about the amount, it's about the heart. Okay. So to build on that, it's not how much you give, it's how much you keep for yourself. I think that would be fair out of this account. I'm not talking about this account here with the widow giving all that she had. How much did she keep for herself? Okay. Anyway, that was a good chuckle. Yeah, she was laying up in heaven. Absolutely. down to the, the, to the key of, of true giving. Okay, so uh, Ken said it's not so much the amount, but the heart from which it comes. Okay. What would you add to that? What would you add to that as far as getting down to the very core of what Jesus wants us to understand? How can we put it in words that we can uh, remember? As soon as we learn and understand that you can't outgive God, So when we learn to and understand that we cannot outgive God, then it becomes much easier to give uh, the way the Lord would have us to give. Okay, all we have is from God anyway. It's all His. We we manage that and we give it to Him. Okay. Psalm number 50, I think. I think the scriptures you went to a while ago, they first came of themselves and then of their needs. So the broad picture is, like it's already been said, uh, everything is his. We're, we're just managers, stewards. Part of our stewardship is giving physical money and there is the need, but all of
makes no difference if you're rich or poor, because it's not ours anyway, like Larry said. Right. Whatever you got or don't have, it's God's. Right. If you understand that, then giving becomes easy, I think. Right. Right. Ken's saying the, there's no condemnation for being rich or poor. It's, again, uh, our relationship with the Lord, what's coming out of the heart. Okay. So, is that what you wanted to, point you wanted to make, Aaron? Was, it was yes, I was The idea here is to simply take this episode and see what, how this can apply to us and what, what are the core ideas Jesus wants us to take from this. Okay. Larry was saying big picture is uh, as the uh, churches of Macedonia did, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then many of the uh, early saints, like from Acts 4 and 32, said the things that they had were not their own, but they had all things in common. So they understood that all of it belonged to God uh, in the first place. Okay. So. Right. They also understood more how they had to spread the gospel. And all that money that they were giving, it wasn't just to build churches or you know, to have nice things. That was to get the word of God Miss Julie's making the excellent point that the giving was not giving just to give or to give to build a, a building. or it was, it was about the urgency of getting the gospel around the world as much as they could do in the, in the time that the Lord gave them. That's, that's the urgency. That's, that's why they gave of themselves. Gave. Say it, when we were saying it didn't cost them anything, well, my idea was, was it didn't hurt them. It didn't. It didn't take anything out of their life. Exactly. Okay. It, they, they checked off their, line they checked off their list and they went on their way. Exactly. And the contrast was this lady. Be the priest. The priest. 
as a priest. Now, by the time you get to Jesus' day, that had been very much politicized. And so, we don't know who was taking that money, but originally it would be the job of the priest to take care of that. Definitely. It made a contrast in doing so, but I think, I don't think he was saying they're wrong and she's right. Yeah. Well, um, definitely he's, he's uh, bringing out her example for inspiration. Uh, but here, there is that statement, they gave out of their abundance. You know, what, what were we supposed to take out of that? They, these gave out of their abundance, but she gave all that she had. I think we get. I think we got right down to the very basics of it, and what Jesus wants us to see here. And so, uh, definitely love for God, faith in God. A true giver will ask to give, just like the churches of Macedonia. They were begging for the opportunity to give, and so that's that's the idea that Jesus is bringing up here. We see that there's a need to give, and we give before we think about it. That's what God wants us to do. You've got to think about it a whole lot before you decide to give it up. You're not really wanting to give it up. Yeah. If we see a true need, we give, take care of that need before we check it by ourselves. That's, what God that's the spirit, right?